Unexplained death cases reported from China. Is COVID-19 back? The country now grappling with a mysterious pneumonia outbreak, resulting in fatigue, fever, and alleged deaths. A rally calling for freedom in China held in New York City. Activists commemorating the one-year anniversary of the white paper movement. Clashes breaking out along China's border with Myanmar. The two sides arguing and scrambling after an exploded smoke bomb. And charges for treason in Taiwan. Ten of the island's current and former military officers now charged with spying for communist China. Welcome to China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. More deaths are being reported in China as the country grapples with an unexplained pneumonia wave. What was initially thought to be a concern limited to children now spreading rapidly among adults. Beijing urged hospitals nationwide to extend service hours and set up more clinics to cope with the surge. Is this a resurgence of COVID-19 or is it something more mysterious at play? Here's the latest on what's happening. Lung inflammation and high fevers. A mysterious acute pneumonia outbreak continues to sweep through China. But the country's top health body claims it can handle the spike in sickness without giving further details on the true scope of the infections. We spoke with a local resident in Beijing who hinted at a surge in death during the ongoing spike. We altered the resident's voice to protect her identity. Last month, one of my brothers died of lung infection. I buried him last week on the 18th. I arrived at Ba Baoshan crematorium before 7 o'clock. I only got the ashes back after 9.05. So you tell me how many people have died. Long line, isn't it? Exactly. How long would it take to pick the ashes up? Five minutes to pick up an urn. News of undiagnosed pneumonia cases among kids started to emerge on Chinese social media back in August. By September, reports from inside China suggested people were dying alleging many had shown symptoms of lung inflammation. Former Chinese journalist Zhao Lanjian told NTD what he learned from internal sources. I received this information from someone about children dying. A teacher asked a father in a chat group why his daughter didn't come to school. The father said, I'm very sorry, I'm so busy and confused. My child couldn't come to school anymore because she died of pneumonia last night. On top of that, Many social media posts also share news about family members passing away from the outbreak. In one post, a mother revealed that her nine-month-old baby died of mycoplasma pneumonia. And in this video shared online, a man from northern China shares that he was tested for five different pathogens. Amid the wave of illnesses, Chinese authorities are pushing residents to mask up, practice social distancing, and stay at home. A major hospital in Beijing has already set up a makeshift clinic to cope with mounting demand for treatment. Such facilities are most known for large-scale medical isolation tactics used during the COVID-19 pandemic in China. Beijing insists the chaos is not caused by a new virus and deny the possibility of COVID-19 mutations. Instead, health officials have pinned the rise mostly on the mycoplasma pneumonia virus, though clinical reports say mycoplasma infections typically don't require hospitalization. China responded to the World Health Organization's request for data about the undiagnosed pneumonia, saying the surge is linked to common illnesses. South Korea has reported that mycoplasma pneumonia cases in its children doubled in November. France has reported similar increases. 
And starting next month, Japan will require some travelers from China and five other countries to take tuberculosis or TB tests before entering Japan. TB exhibits similar lung infections to the undiagnosed pneumonia. A call for freedom in China coming from the heart of New York City. A group of activists commemorating the one-year anniversary of the White Paper Movement, one of the largest protests calling for democracy in China since the 1989 student movement on Tiananmen Square. NTD's Juliet Song has the details. A rally in downtown Manhattan on Saturday marking a special day, the one-year anniversary of a major protest in China called the White Paper Movement. I think I haven't seen like a large-scale movement like that in China like in my entire lifetime. People are radicalized in China all over, all across board. Um, it's really rare. I think growing up, I've always thought that it's impossible for China to have another um, movement that's the scale of Tiananmen Square. The movement shocked many at the time. Waves of demonstrations broke out nationwide, condemning Beijing's harsh COVID-19 lockdowns. Protesters held sheets of blank paper while demonstrating, a symbol of censorship. Protesters said they don't want to be slaves, they want to be citizens. Calls like this rang out in China's biggest city, Shanghai. Protesters asked Chinese leader Xi Jinping to step down. Protesters also took direct aim at the ruling communist regime. One of the Shanghai protesters made his way to the U.S., joining this very rally in New York, commemorating the movement. For him, a protest in China was unimaginable. At first, my mind was blank. I didn't think about anything. I was a bit nervous, a bit excited. But afterwards, anger rose up in me after people started chanting. After all, we were put under lockdown for too long. So people were venting and asking for human rights. He recounted how police officers surrounded them. Some people were arrested. Authorities took some people's phones. Police officers later brought a bus here. A number of people were abducted and taken onto the bus. Some were beaten up. Zhao fled China after the protest. He said Beijing's draconian lockdowns were a wake-up call for many Chinese people. They were fed up with suppression. They also saw what happened around them. Some people jumped off buildings. They also saw the blaze that happened in Xinjiang. Many died in the apartment building. So they were pushed to the brink and started resisting Beijing's authoritarian rule. The protests later calmed down. Beijing lifted pandemic restrictions but arrested a number of protesters. Some of them are still in prison today. Rallygoers say it's important to recognize their perseverance and that they're not alone, as there are others overseas fighting for democracy with them. Juliet Song, NTD News. The group also condemned Beijing's abuse of Tibetans and Uyghurs. The regime has been collecting blood samples from Tibetans for better surveillance results. The regime has also detained over one million Uyghurs inside China, a Muslim minority group that lives in the western Xinjiang region. The U.S. says Beijing is committing genocide against them through mass detention and forced sterilization. 
different from the openness of the U.S. rally inside China. The participants of last year's blank paper movement are facing fear, suppression and retaliation from local authorities. We sat down with one of them to find out what's happening to the demonstrators on Chinese soil. Huang Guoan was a technical specialist working in southern China's city of Guangzhou. To commemorate the one-year anniversary of China's white paper movement, he recounted tragedies he says have happened in his city. During the three-year pandemic lockdown, I witnessed too many people jumping off buildings, hanging themselves. People could not go to the hospital without taking the COVID-19 test. Some pregnant women who didn't undergo testing got rejected by hospitals. They ended up having miscarriages. Some older adults who didn't take the test were denied emergency medical treatment, and this happened often in Guangzhou. The nationwide protests were among modern China's largest, driven by harsh pandemic restrictions that saw people trapped in their homes for months many of them lacking food and access to medical care. Huang recalled struggling under the sudden lockdowns. I didn't have much food stored, and as the lockdown went on, my food nearly ran out. I understand why some people choose to jump off buildings. When you're starving to the point of desperation, such thoughts can arise. If the Communist Party doesn't step down, there's no way for the ordinary people to survive. They feel desperate. As protesters took to the streets, Huang was working behind the scenes. Huang obtained anti-communism information from overseas through bypassing China's internal censorship. He took those details and spread them on Chinese social media. The blank paper movement pushed Chinese authorities to end draconian lockdown measures. But what waited for the protesters afterward was a brutal round of retaliation from the Chinese regime. I was arrested on May 20th. I suspect that some people had revealed information about me under torture. Just a month later, Huang lost contact with many of his fellow demonstrators. He later found they had been arrested. And months later, he was too. Huang was detained for 15 days. He experienced various forms of torture during that time including being exposed to intense light, sprayed with chemicals, and deprived of sleep. He also lost his job during this time. After his release, he fled to New Zealand. Although Huang is now living on free soil, he says Chinese police still harass him via text messages and leverage the safety of his family members back in China. What's more, his bank savings remain frozen in China. Despite the challenges, he says he'll continue exposing the communist regime's actions toward the Chinese people and trying to bring awareness to other nations. Up next, some quick updates from the Indo-Pacific. For the first time in four years, the foreign ministers of China, Japan and South Korea met in the port city of Busan on Sunday. The three sides are seeking to restart cooperation to ease tensions. The Japanese foreign minister said greater trilateral cooperation will contribute to regional peace. We now stand at a turning point in history. The international situation has become more severe and complex than ever before. Cooperation between our three countries will greatly contribute to peace and prosperity, not only for us, but also for the region and the world. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi called to restart negotiations for a trilateral free trade agreement, urging the three countries to do so as soon as possible. He also gave a warning to South Korea.
he cautioned the country against politicizing economic and tech issues as the two prepare to meet Japan's top diplomat. The meeting could also pave the way for an eventual summit. In the South China Sea, two Chinese fighter jets were seen orbiting a Philippine aircraft. The plane had been participating in sea and air exercises with Australia in the South China Sea, in an area considered part of the Philippines' exclusive economic zone. China's foreign ministry said Monday it was unaware of the circumstances. China claims almost the entire South China Sea as its own, despite a ruling in 2016 that said China's claims had no legal basis. Vietnam has upgraded ties with Japan to the highest level. The two sides now officially boosting their relations to a comprehensive strategic partnership. The change was made during a visit by the Vietnamese president to Tokyo. He called it an important event, opening a new chapter in the Vietnam-Japan relations. The move underlined Vietnam's increasingly strategic role as an important link in global supply chains. That's as trade tensions persist between China and the West. The elevation of ties with Japan followed Vietnam's historic upgrade of relations with the United States in September. Ten Taiwanese military officers indicted for treason on Monday. That's after the current and former officials were caught spying for Beijing. According to Taiwan's High Prosecutor's Office, three of them allegedly recruited active-duty troops to collect information and develop a network for China. Four of those recruits allegedly handed over multiple items of military secrets to Beijing for money. Another reportedly stole military secrets from his place of work. And two others were accused of filming a psychological warfare video for the Chinese Communist Party. In the video, they pledged to surrender to the People's Liberation Army, the formal name of Beijing's military. Tensions between Taiwan and China are at record heights, with the island under the looming threat of a Beijing invasion. The CCP has never ruled Taiwan. And over to China's border with Myanmar, also known as Burma, social media videos released over the weekend caught a debate between the two sides. People on the Myanmar side of the border fence seen arguing with Chinese border guards while scrambling from an exploded smoke bomb Sunday. They were reportedly appealing to Chinese security forces across the fence for safe passage and to release a man they said had been detained. Chinese forces started combat exercises over the weekend, set to run until Tuesday. Chinese state media said they aimed to test their combat capabilities and readiness to secure the border with Myanmar. Internal conflicts in Myanmar have displaced tens of thousands of people in the border region. Concerns are growing in China about instability and an influx of refugees. The clashes come just after another attack along the Burma-China border last week. Tensions peaked Friday when over 100 cargo trucks were set ablaze, causing over $14 million in losses. The convoy had been transporting goods into Burma from China. Let's take a closer look. This comes when China's ambassador to Burma is meeting top officials there for border security talks. About 120 out of 258 vehicles carrying household goods, consumer goods, clothes and building materials were destroyed by fire. This is according to local media. Referring to an opposition force that launched an offensive against the Junta government a month ago. Before the latest insurgent offensive, Chinese and Burma Junta officials had launched a crackdown in the region 
on gangs operating internet fraud centers that China blames for cheating many of its people. Burma handed over tens of thousands Chinese telecom fraud suspects this month. Coming up, for the first time in years, China, Japan and South Korea have agreed to resume cooperation. Top diplomats from the three countries setting the stage for a trilateral summit as soon as possible. This comes as North Korea celebrates the launch of its first spy satellite and as Beijing flexes more military muscle near the Taiwan Strait. What's driving the two U.S. allies closer to China and why the urgency? To find out, we sat down with Grant Husham, retired U.S. Marine Colonel and Senior Fellow at the Center for Security Policy. That and more after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Two major U.S. allies in Asia seeking high-level talks with communist China. Over the weekend, China, Japan and South Korea agree to pave the way for an official trilateral summit. What brought them together and why now? Joining us to discuss is Grant Newsham, retired U.S. Marine Colonel and Senior Fellow at the Center for Security Policy. Grant Newsham, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. No, thanks for having me. I want to zoom in on a meeting that happened between China, Japan, and South Korea. Now, why would South Korea and Japan meet with China, given the tensions in the region? Well, partially, it's something you have to do. It's almost considered polite or part of the game. Uh, it does seem like diplomats like to have meetings. And it's, just, it's, it's something they do. I don't think either the Japanese or the Koreans thought that any breakthroughs or anything positive would come out of this, but you know, at best it's being polite, at worst it's um, proof that hope springs eternal. And you never know, the Chinese might apologize and surrender, uh, but I don't think anyone thought there was going to be any change in Chinese behavior uh, after this meeting or any sort of a, a meaningful three-way agreement about anything. And now the Taiwan issue, as China calls it, often comes up, but do you see Taiwan coming up in the discussion between these three countries? I think that China would mention, I think they did actually say that Taiwan is one of their core interests, along with the South China Sea. And it's as if China thinks that only China can have core interests and nobody else can. Uh, but they mentioned it. And they're serious about this. And they are telling both the Japanese and the South Koreans to uh, back off or don't do anything much to help Taiwan, and particularly South Korea, because they're now, just now coming around to the idea that a Taiwan contingency does affect them. And there's a thought that the, China, the South Koreans might actually help to some extent. And the Japanese are a bit different case because the, the, the Chinese know that Japan knows how important Taiwan is. And they are going to be sorely tempted to help out. Uh, the Japanese are not doing anywhere near what they could be doing. And the Chinese just like to keep hectoring them, bullying them, pressuring them about Taiwan, hoping they'll get the, China, the Japanese to hold off a bit. Um, but it's all pretty predictable. The Chinese come and complain. They tell people what they need to do. They say they want good relations, uh, assuming the other side shows sincerity, which means do what we say. Uh, and then they warn the other side about forming blocks, which they hate when they're uh, their enemies, when the people they don't like actually join together to defend themselves, the Chinese go berserk. So they mentioned all those things during the, the meetings. 
We have seen North Korea and Russia working more closely together, North Korea giving Russia ammunition, Russia perhaps helped North Korea get their spy satellite into the sky recently. Given that we are seeing wars or conflicts into theaters already in Europe with Ukraine and Russia and the Middle East with Israel and Hamas, how likely are we to see one in Asia? Oh, I think we've got a good chance of it. Uh, if I was a betting man, I would put a reasonably reasonable-sized sum on that. Uh, where it's going to happen, nobody quite knows. Of course, Taiwan gets all the attention. Uh, but nobody, as I said, nobody quite knows. But the Americans and the democracies, the free nations, can really only do so many things at once. And when they're sort of locked in on the Middle East, on a war in Europe, Ukraine and Russia, uh, it's just by definition, it's less attention you can pay to the Asia Pacific. You don't need more headaches. And you just might be tempted to uh, say if China does something, let him, go, let him go, let him get away with it. You can always think of some excuse if you're an administration and you're up to your, you know, your eyeballs and alligators. Uh, so I would say that we just might have something coming uh, in in the Asia Pacific. And it may be something we're not even look, thinking about. For example, I think we've seen a bit of it with North Korea launching that spy satellite, uh, both with the missile capabilities, the satellite capabilities that they've all gotten from China and Russia and their own sort of intelligence, their own sort of hard work that created it. Um, but suppose that the, China, the North Koreans do get a miniaturized nuclear device that they can now put on a long-range weapon. They can target it very well because they've now got, well, they've been able to target pretty well, but now they can do it better uh, with this new satellite. And suppose they start threatening uh, to drop a nuclear weapon into Guam, into Hawaii, into Washington. Uh, now that is a big enough problem. And the Chinese might be delighted to see the Americans having to deal with it. In fact, they would be delighted. And then China comes in and offers a deal. Look, we'll, uh, we'll help you with North Korea if you let us have something else. And you can guess what the something else would be. Grant Newsham, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocusntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.